So what I want to talk to you about tonight, and uh, this is going to be part one of, uh, of two, so you can focus on Numbers 3 and Numbers 4 the next few weeks here, and uh, call to the royal priesthood. And I want you to stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. We're going to cover most of the chapter here. So the word of the Lord says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and to the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons, and they are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to the priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord God, this night, open up our hearts and minds, Lord God. You have given us an identity. And Lord God, that identity is vast, it's deep, and it's great. And Lord God, it is greater than any identity that has ever been imparted, Lord God, by countries or kings, Lord God, or religious authorities. Unlike anything, Lord God, the very authority, Lord God, that you have imparted to us through our identity, the power you've imparted to us, and the mission you've imparted to us through our identity, Lord God, help us all, Lord God, to wrap our hearts and minds around that identity tonight. And Lord God, we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So we know, we know and as we study the scripture, Jesus is our high priest. Okay, Hebrews, you know, really makes that very clear. Jesus fulfills the priesthood of Aaron. When we were back studying Exodus chapter 28, we we're talking about the, the, the priest, the high priest. And Jesus is our high priest. He is our high priest who makes intercession for us. But we are also called to a royal priesthood. Every one of us, if you are a believer, you have been called to be a part of this royal priesthood. So just as, as Aaron is the high priest in the Old Testament, what you have is you have all the Levites were called to this priesthood of ministering, serving the Lord. Royal priesthood, right? So again, right, there are the royals. Right? And the queen the queen just died, but they are the royals. Well that is what the Lord has called us to. So just to kind of put things in perspective, look closely. <laughs> We're royalty. That's Tito. That's Tito with hair. It's the only picture I had of you. Look at Diane. Diane, she looks like the queen. Right? Joe, you were looking down. I don't know what you were looking at there, but I, I didn't have a picture of you looking up. But that's, that's the picture. Kings and queens and princesses and princes. And the, we have the, the duchess and the duke. We, we are royalty. That's what the Word of God is saying. So I had some fun doing this, right? <laughs> Get your pictures, put them up on the internet. You're never going to see that one again. <laughs> so again, the closest thing we have in America to royalty, I would say, would be the Kennedy clan. And again, we're, we're kind of beyond that right now. But if you, know, if you grew up... When I grew up, the, Ken the Kennedy, you know, the Kennedys, again, whether you, you like them, you don't like them, but they were royalty. 
They were American, the closest thing to American royalty, right, Lou? You remember it, right? That yeah, they were they were royalty. And I want to just I want you to think of this. Their identity was that of being successful. That was their identity. Now you grew up a Kennedy, you're gonna grow up to be a tremendous success. Right? You're going to grow up to be a president. You're going to grow up to be a senator, a congressman, a, 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 a famous TV personality, an actor. Right? Just that they, 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 that concept that if you're a Kennedy, by the way, are they any better looking than the rest of us? I look like. I mean, John Kennedy was a really good looking guy. The rest look like pretty. You know, I think they look. Pretty regular people. Were they were they any smarter than the rest of us? Right? We we know not not all of them, but some of them weren't you know weren't the most moral people. Right? They they did some they did some bad things, but but they they had that identity that you know what you're a Kennedy, you're going to be a success, and that's that's the power of identity. When, when you have an identity and you believe in that identity, it is going to permeate your life. It, it's going to affect the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act. It's, it's going to affect everything you do. Again, come back to what Scripture says about us. Revelation chapter 1, 5 through 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. Basilica er, her, that's the, the word. A, a kingdom of priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is our identity. The deeper your identity is, and that could be whether it is in Christ or in the world or in something else, you will act, you will think, your emotions, uh, your behaviors will be in accordance with your identity. You call it your self-concept, I call it your self-image, but that is the case. The, the, the sad thing is, Many people in the church don't know who they are. They don't know who their identity is. And I think, I think again, their, their actions, their agenda, their behaviors really kind of, again, reveal that. So a key thing here is, is really coming to understand and discovering your identity. So I'll give you, I, want, I want to give you an example. I want to use a couple of examples. Well, I, I teach this, not only in the church, but outside the church. I teach this in, in, in the business world. I've taught it to sports teams. So you look, you look at a sports team, and they, they have a losing record. And it's usually gone on for years. So you're like the New England Patriots before Bill Belichick took them over. You, you can look at Phil Jackson before he took over the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Joe Torre before he took the New York Yankees. Painful time, New York Yankees, right? A lot of losing seasons. And that coach comes in and he instills this, this winning identity. They begin to really believe that they're winners. 
they begin to act like winners, talk like winners, dress like winners, behave like winners, treat each other like winners. And then suddenly you see that there's this transformation that occurs and they begin to win. Now I've studied, I've studied this and I've studied you know, sports teams and, and looking at this. And again, I can go on and talk about you know, multiple other teams and coaches. So people will say, well, you see, they first won and then they started to think like a winner. No, I don't think that's what happened. I, wasn't, I don't think that they suddenly began to win some games. I believe that the identity was changed. And that's something, again, that's something that great coaches do. In fact, if you're a New York sports fan, a New York football fan, that's happening right now, and it's very evident in the Jets and the Giants. They have been horrible. I mean, two of the worst teams in, in, in the NFL for a number of years. These two coaches that have taken them over, they have begun to work an identity change in those teams and in those players. Those players are starting to see themselves and believe that they're winners, that they can win a division. Maybe they, 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 could, they could, you know, win a conference and maybe possibly even win a Super Bowl. But that identity, again, that identity is changing. So the, the identity we have, again, has a powerful effect upon our life. There's a, you know, I, I think one of the things that we tend to do as human beings, so we have behaviors that we don't like in our life. So we try, we try to change the behaviors. And you all know this. You know, I don't care what it is. It could be eating. It could be exercise. It could be the way you talk to you know, people, the way you think, the, you know, the time you waste. And you're trying to change those behaviors. And what you're finding is you're basically having no success because what you're dealing with is you're dealing with the effects instead of dealing with the cause. And again, there has to be an identity change for you actually to have long-lasting, continuous change. So again, that, that, becomes, that becomes the key thing. If not, what you're doing is, all you're dealing with is the rotten fruit on the tree instead of the root cause of what's causing that rottenness. Do you follow me? And this again, this is our culture. Right? Quick fixes for everything that don't work. By the way, I, 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 wrote, I wrote a book years ago called How to Get Slim and Stay Trim. And uh, talked, talked about you know, eating and talked about sleeping and talked about exercise. But the main thing that I started with was a person's body image. If you have a body image and you see yourself as a person who overeats, who overly indulges, you see yourself as a person who's overweight, until you change your body image, you're not going to have long-lasting effects in being able to lose weight and keep it off. That's why diets don't work. Diets don't work. They never have and they never will. You know, go, go into a bookstore. How many diet books are on the shelf? Thousands. They don't work. What works is changing your identity and then having that, again, work itself outward and that has the effect of changing your life. Now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to talk to you about body image tonight. I'm here to talk about your identity, your, your self-concept, your identity in Christ. Bible says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Think about the things, the, the many things that the Word says we are. You know, I've, I've said this. In the New Testament, nowhere is a Christian, a truly born-again Christian, called a sinner. 
Show me a verse. Paul says, I'm the chief sinner. Okay, and I think we, we are all aware that we fall short of the glory of God. But listen to what the Spirit says to us through the Word. We are called saints, ambassadors, right? The light of the world, the salt of the earth, the redeemed, children of God, the ordin, ordination, holy, holy nation, royal priesthood, right? And, and... So there, there are a number of different facets to our identity in Christ, but being priest. So that's what I want to talk to you about. The identity of being a priest. So let's look, let's look, and I'm going to begin in verses 1 through 4 that this, again, this identity, this wonderful identity, that has been given to us comes with great responsibility. How great is the responsibility? How great was the responsibility upon the Levites? And you go back, we go back to the story that is explained here of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, where they had a great responsibility. They abused it. They misused it. And they were held accountable for it. They were not responsible. It's a, it's a, it's a very tough story. Right? They, they were anointed, right, as priests. They were set apart with this very high calling to be ministers of God. And again, they were extremely irresponsible. Look, now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses at Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and, and the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithmar. These are the, the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. They were irresponsible. They got fired, literally. They got fired. And um, when we are irresponsible to, again, that calling, to that identity, to that anointing, I'll just say this to you. God will burn us. And I'm not talking about him killing us. But he's going to discipline us when we are irresponsible. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, that discipline will be far sterner than it is with, with, uh, you know, with other people. So just look, look again at New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 18. See then that you walk circumspectively, not as fools, but wise. Redeeming the time. Right? We're, we're priests. Make the most of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right here it is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Live under the influence of the Spirit. That, that is a key component of our response. Our responsibility is to live under the influence of the Spirit and not under the influence of the world or our own influence. To be led by the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit. Our agenda should be the Spirit's, not our own. Okay, second here. 
Kingdom of priests, we are called to be servants. So again, I, I read to you verses 5 through 10. Notice here, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. Notice, to serve who? Who are they going to serve? To serve him. Look, look at the contents. Bring them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve Aaron, right, to serve Aaron. And, and they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. So, you, you, you know, you look at that again. Aaron is the high priest. They were to serve him. Who is our high priest? Jesus, right? And we, we as under priests are to be serving him. Do you get that? Right, just Aaron is a typology. Aaron is a type of Jesus as the high priest in the Old Testament. Again, Exodus twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and then you go into Hebrews, and it it just affirms that. So here it says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter four, fourteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Jesus is our high priest. We are to be serving him. We are to be his servants. What is the New Testament word used for a servant? Bondservant, right. What is, do you know what the Greek word is? Doulos. Yeah, doulos, bond, the, the, the bondservant. So you go through the scriptures and you look at the beginning of all the epistles and um, it begins, by the way, Peter, Peter begins his first epistle by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In the second epistle, he got it. He says, Jesus, an apostle and a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Right? James is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And you see that repeated. What, you know, what is a bondservant? Well, you go to Exodus chapter 21. And you get a picture of the bondservant. Let me, let me read this to you. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and I do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an owl. Uh, then he will be his servant for life. So here's the picture. The servant, right? And these, these were indentured servants. They were paying off a debt. These are not people who have been put into a life of slavery. That's what you see in the servant. So they, essentially what is at times translated slaves in the Old Testament. This is a Hebrew bondservant. He does his time, seven years, okay? It could be even less. Paid his debt off. And his master says, you're free to go. He says, but I don't want to go. I love you. Look what you've given me. You've given me a, a, a house, a, a family, I have children, I have, I have sheep, I have livestock, I have agriculture. I don't want to leave. Look at what you, the blessings that you've given me. Therefore, I, I want to serve you the rest of my life. I want to be your servant up until the day I die. And so he takes him out and you have this ceremony again where his, his ear is pierced. That is the picture of being a servant. Why do we serve him? Because he's loved us. The, the love of Christ compels us. Because he, he died for us. And you know he, he died on that cross for us to, to forgive us, to give us forgiveness of our sins, to wash away our sins. And then he gave to us his spirit to live in us. And he blesses us every day. He reveals right, himself to us. He cares for us. He meets our needs. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us the fruit of the spirit. So say, Lord, you've blessed me so... 
my natural response is, I want to spend the rest of my life serving you. And we serve him. We serve him. We serve people through serving him. And if you forget that, you'll find ministry to be very difficult. People will wear on you. People will wear you out. People will burn you out. And this is what we see. We see a lot of burnout, right, in, in, in the ministry. Look, look at what it says in Acts chapter 13 too. As they ministered to the Lord, right, this is Paul and Barnabas, some of the leaders in Antioch. Notice who they, who they were ministering to. They ministered to who? The Lord. I can guarantee they were ministering to each other. They're praying for each other. They're caring for each other. They're teaching each other, right? All of this is happening, but ultimately they minister to the Lord, right? And, and that, that becomes, that becomes the, the key. I'm not ministering directly to you tonight. I'm ministering to Jesus. And I'm ministering to you through Jesus. And as soon as I start to get in the place of just, you know, I'm ministering to people, again, they don't respond the way that you want them to respond. They don't receive the way you want them to receive. Right? They're not doing what, what the, you know, the, the Word is saying. For them. You get frustrated. I've been there. I became so frustrated years ago, I was ready to leave the church and go back into the fitness business. I said, it's much easier to make fat people skinny than to make unspiritual people spiritual. And um, I'm telling you, I mean, I was, I, was, I was that close to just saying, I- I'm done. I'm done with this. This is going back, this is 25, 30 years ago. But I had just gotten to the point of, of such, and as, I've, and as I've worked with pastors through the years, I've been able to share that experience. A lot of younger pastors who, who go through, a lot of people, go in, you know, in and out of the ministry. The ministry could be very difficult, could be painful. You carry the burden. You're carrying the burden of the church. You want to see people grow. You want to see people be filled with the Spirit. You want to see people serve God. You know, you want to see people just, just maximize that God-given potential that has been given to them. And when you're not seeing it, it, it can really become frustrating. So there's a lot of, a lot of brokenness that, you know, that comes with a broken heart. But it, when I learned that, again, I needed to minister to Jesus. So the Lord is sitting here tonight. I minister through Jesus to you. And that, that really kind of changed. That changed. God gave me this verse. It changed my perspective. But as priests, we are servants. Okay, number three. We are not our own. Look at verse 11 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel. Now watch this. Instead of the firstborn, remember he, he demanded the firstborn? Now the Levites, they basically replace the firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine because all of the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. The Levites were his. And as priests, we are his. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You ever hear that song, It's My Life? Right? I don't know if you ever hear it, but that's kind of a contemporary song. I thought the young people would have heard that. David, you've heard that song, right? It's my life, right? Never heard that. This is like, this is like today. For, I, I, if I was going to use a, 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 another song, it would be Frank Sinatra, My Way, right? It's my life, my way. I do it my way. But it's not. It's, it, it, your life is his. He owns you. He bought you, right? You were bought with a price. What price? The cross. He, he, his, his blood. By the way, when, when you come again to this identity, this changes everything. There's suddenly, suddenly it's, again, it's not your life. It's not your time. It's not my time. It's, it's not your agenda. It's his agenda. Or do I just want to, I just want to do, uh, do my own thing. Well, you know what? That's telling me you, you have not, you have not discovered your identity in Christ. I think that's, you know, a, a picture. It's not my goals. It's his. You know, it's just, uh, you, you have a lot of, there are a lot of, I don't know, I just I use the word, fake Christians. And it's very easy to look at the way that they live and see that they, they really have not come to know him. Because it's, it's, again, it's their time, it's their life, it's their money, it's their agenda, it's their schedule. Not his. Today, cold, bitter day. I was like running, I was running around all day. Going in and out of the core. My, my you know, my grandson, little Nathan, he's still sick. Sue's sick. She's coughing. And I, I looked at her tonight, and I said to her, she said, I don't feel like going to church. I'm not going. She laughed at me, because she knows me. And she knows that that's, that it's, not, it's not an option. And I wasn't, by the way, I was, I, I, it, my feelings were, yeah, I could stay home tonight. It's kind of cold, bitter. You know, it stopped raining, but it was raining. And I say, well, that, you know, it, but, but it's not my agenda. You know, I've learned, that's, that's been imprinted, that identity has been imprinted upon me. That that's, that's not something I do. And again, that, that, is, that is, again, our identity. We are not our own. He owns us. It's his agenda. It's his will, not my will. Again, that, that is the identity. Look at, look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is uh, no longer I who live. <laughs> It's like, my life, my agenda has gotten put aside. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to give you a great revelation when I came to the place where I realized that it was, again, no longer my life, but his. So I, I, was, a, I was a competitive weightlifter and bodybuilder, and I had an injury, and I experienced a paralysis, where I was actually paralyzed on my left side. I, I, I was unable to move my arm. I, I went from being able to bench press 400 pounds to not being able to push the bar off my chest, a 45-pound bar. And um, so I came to the Lord. I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, heal me and give me the strength of Samson so that I could go out and be the American bodybuilding champion, the universe bodybuilding champion, and God spoke to my heart and said, 
I don't want you to build your body. I want you to build my body. Little change in agenda. That was it. A little change. And by the way, that has happened. I mean, that, ha- that has happened and been repeated many times. My agenda, his agenda. So again, we are not our own as priests. We are his. Here's the next one, that we are known. Verse 14 through 20. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of of Levi by their fathers' houses, by their families. You shall number every male from the month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. Then these were the sons of Levi by their names. Notice he named each one of them. We were talking about this in the census uh, a couple weeks ago. And the names, you know, Gershon, Kohath, uh, Merari, and these are the names of the sons of Gershon and their families. And, you know, it, it just goes on. Well, actually, we'll look at this uh, a little bit more in depth next week. But he names them, again, and this is part of, again, the identity. A name in the Bible, what does a name tell us? So we just sang, we sang Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? The Lord will provide. Names reveal character. The many, the many names of God. So when you, when you look at Elohim, Elohim is Lord. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Right? So when you look at the names of people, Abraham, okay? Abraham's name means father. Jacob, what? Deceiver, heel catcher. And you see, the name speaks of character. Here, when it, it talks, it's talking about our, our names, He knows our name. You know what that means? He knows our character. He knows every detail about our character. He he knows our person. To know God. To be known by God. This is the Christian life. It's not religion. Isn't that the great deception of Satan? That it's religion, right? You, you go to church. You go through some ceremony or some ritual. You go through the motions, right? Sit, stand, kneel. And by the way, it, it could be happening in a church like ours, people just going through the motions. You could be standing, clapping your hands, and it could be totally meaningless to you. Just simply you're doing. People are, are notorious conformers. We, we, we conform to, what, you know, to what's around us. So I can I can go into a an, into an auditorium of people, and um, somebody will be speaking, and nobody claps. I start clapping, everybody claps. I, I always laugh. I look at my wife, and I will watch this, at a, at a funeral, and um, one of the one of the daughters of the the man who died. She got up and she she spoke these beautiful words, and everybody just sat there, and I just like tap my wife, and I'm like, everybody claps. They just conform. They'll conform to lifting their hands. They'll, they'll conform to moving their lips. And again, their, their hearts are, are totally far away from God. So look at what, this is a beautiful verse from Hosea. Hosea 6, 6. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. What is that? I, I want to have a relationship with you, not have you doing religious gymnastics, right? S- sacrifices, burn offerings. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not into, I want to know you. 
I want you to know me. That's the Christian life. Not going through religious motions. I say, let this sink into your mind because when you go to the Bible in the morning, you should be experiencing a relationship with God. When you pray, there should be a relationship with God. When you worship, a relationship with God. Whether you're doing that privately or you're doing it publicly in the congregation. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by them. He knows us, we know him. And the, the, the tragedy that you see in Scripture, whether it's Israel or the church, the tragedy are, are people who are right where we are today who never knew him. Right? Look at, look at, and this is, this is a, a frightening verse. In, in Mark 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Obviously, you did not know me, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And the, I, I, these are church people. These are people doing, doing, apparently looking like they're doing church work. So he says, I never knew you. How, how do we understand that? Because we know that God knows everything, right? God is omniscient. He knows everything, but he says, I don't know you. Because I believe in, in relationship. What that's saying is, we have to make ourselves known to God for him to know us. Again, this is talking about, this is genosco, intimate knowledge, relationship, of really letting God into our lives. And I, I, I want you to look at this because it's being transparent. Becoming transparent with God, where you are, you are totally open and totally honest with Him. So when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. And then what did they do? They sewed fig leaves. They're hiding. They're, what are they? They're hiding their guilt. They're hiding their shame. They're hiding their sin. And and God is walking, right? Jesus, I think it's a, we would call a Christopomorphism of the Lord walking through the garden, saying, "Where are you?" He knew exactly where they were. He was trying to say to them, "Do you know where you are? Because now you have distanced yourself from me. Now you are separated from me, and you're hiding from me. And that's that's where humanity is." Right? They, they hide. They love the darkness because to come into the light, we are revealed. You, know, you come into the light and you know, your scars, your warts, your zits, all the things. But that, that's the beauty of the Christian life is that we come to Him and we open up ourselves to Him and we reveal ourselves to Him. And that, that's, that is intimacy. Of being able to, to open yourself up completely to the Lord. There's nothing that I hide from Him. Nothing. Things that I'm not proud of. Things that I may think or things that I may say. I don't hide those things from Him. And I come and, you know, and He rejoices in that. Because it was, it was the Pharisees who were the fakes. The, the Sadducees were the fakes. 
They were far from the kingdom of God because they, they thought they were so. They, they were the fig leaves of self-righteousness, the fig leaves of religiosity. But the tax collectors, the woman caught in adultery, the sinful woman that, that came and, and wept at his feet and whopped, washed his, hair with her, uh, his feet with her hair, those people came in openness. And that, that, is, that is, I think, uh, what is to be transparent. And that is what makes us known. And that, let me tell you, that is a wonderful thing. How many people do you have in your life who you can tell them everything about yourself? You can let them go into those closets, right? Where you hide your skeletons. And you can let them know everything. How many people do we have in our life that we, can, you know, we could do that with, but, but Jesus is somebody we can do that with all the time. We can, uh, our pains, our sorrows, our griefs, the things that we may be ashamed of, and we can come and he embraces us. He loves us. He forgives us. He wipes away our tears. He heals our wounds. And he rejoices. He rejoices, not, not in that person walking around saying, oh, look, how, look at how holy I look. I'm, I'm, just a, whole, I'm a holy person. I'm a, he, he rejoices in the person who says, I'm holy. Look at all the holes that are in me, Lord. I got holes all around me. And he rejoices in that. So um, that, that's our first part, right? Kingdom of Priests. We'll, we'll go to part two next week. And um, just wanna, I'll, I'll just wrap up with, with two key things, right? I say this all the time. The two great revelations of the Bible. The two great revelations from Genesis to Malachi, all 66 books. The first greatest revelation is God reveals who he is to us. And you have in-depth revelation of who he is. What is the second great revelation that God gives to us? Right? You have the revelation, right? There, there, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Emmanuel, right? Isaiah 7.14, God, God with us, the Alpha and Omega, the Good Shepherd, the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Holy One, the Savior. What is the second great revelation that God reveals to us? Our identity in Christ, who we are. Who we are in Christ. Just right, right there, you can, again, reconciled, blessed, equipped, loved, treasured, strong in the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, victorious under grace, more than conquerors, never alone, empowered, a saint, powerful, righteous, a masterpiece, chosen, called, sealed, saved, born again, an ambassador of Christ, free from condemnation, salt and light, justified, a child of God, God's temple, free, fishers of men, forgiven, a citizen of heaven, wonderfully made, transformed, redeemed, an overcomer, adopted by God, accepted, rescued, a new creation, gifted, healed, and I'll tell you, you could fill up another, a number of other pages with who we are in Jesus Christ. The more you believe in that, the more that gets deeply rooted into you, the, the, the depths of your heart and soul, I think the more you're going to live the life that he has called you to live. Rooted and established in him. That is what the Holy Spirit is attempting to do in your lives. And what does he use to do that? His word. The more you are in the word, the more you are in the spirit, 
the more God is going to establish that identity in you. Amen? Let's pray together. I'll invite the worship team to come up. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord God, and we thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful identity that you have given to us. An identity, Lord God, that we will live out for all eternity. We will be your priests, Lord God, forever and ever, worshiping and ministering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, serving you, Lord God, because you know us and we know you. We praise you and thank you, Lord God, for your word tonight. Impress it upon our hearts. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Yes, let us minister as priests to our King. If you'd like to come up and spend a little time at the altar before we go into prayer as a group, feel free to do so.
my faithfulness.